Every once in a while, um, there'll be a song before the sermon that really gets to me. <laughs> That's one of those songs. So I just asked, what's that? And now I have to preach. Yeah, that's right. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for being our good shepherd. We shall not want you lead us to green pastures and quiet waters and you restore our soul and you guide us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. So we love you. We know that even now you are shepherding us. We offer our hearts, um, our eyes to see you, our ears to hear you. Just open us up to your Holy Spirit this morning in the name of Jesus, amen. So early in our marriage, um, Jimmy and I began trying to start a family, like many couples. So three months went by, six months went by, and then one year stretched into two. And every month, I would feel that anxiety rising in my heart. And then, when that time approached, disappointment. And so after several years, um, we had to decide if we were going to move from the place of being open to getting pregnant and allowing the natural course of things to unfold to trying to get pregnant with the help of modern medicine, which if you've ever been in that place is a whole other ball of wax. So we finally decided to get tested, and we were told by doctors that it would be nearly impossible for us to get pregnant. And so we started this journey, having to subject my body to fertility treatments that involved daily shots and blood tests, and I hate needles. <laughs> You know, any woman who has gone through this understands what it's like, you know, how raw and vulnerable you feel, just having to give yourself, all of yourself, you know, your hopes and dreams and your body to this process where there are no guarantees what the outcome that you hoped for might be. So I remember the summer of 2007, 14 years ago, very vividly. So we were on our way to visit my sister Grace, who was a missionary, missionary in Kyrgyzstan at the time, when I discovered that the treatments that we had tried that had taken so much out of me had not worked. And the reality that we might never have children of our own sank in, and I just grieved. I grieved more than I, I thought I would. I cried for two weeks straight. And it's a strange feeling to grieve something that you never had in the first place. It was grieving the loss of this future family that Jimmy and I had always envisioned for ourselves. It was grieving this desire that I had to be a mother of my own child. You know, and I looked at Jimmy and how much he loves children. What an amazing father he would be. But it just tore me up that he would never have that opportunity. 
So there's nothing to do in Kyrgyzstan. And perhaps I am a glutton <laughs> for punishment. But I read every passage in scripture that had to do with a woman being barren. And this passage that we read this morning, 1 Samuel, was one of them. And inevitably, in every single story, it would say something like what it says about Hannah, who cried out to the Lord to give her a child. And the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. The Lord remembered her. And that verse was like a knife to my heart. And so I asked God, God, if I never conceive a child, does that mean that you've forgotten me? And in that moment, it felt like he did. So maybe there are some of you who are in that same place that Jimmy and I were at 14 years ago. You know, maybe for some of you, it's something else. Maybe it's a dream or a hope you've had in your heart that's still unfulfilled. You know, maybe it's a relationship that you long for, or an illness that still hasn't been healed, or maybe an, an addiction that God has yet, if you feel that God has yet to deliver you from, and it's still there and you struggle with it. Well, in this story, you know, Hannah is desperate. You know, she is just all raw emotion and vulnerability when she goes to the temple. She doesn't care what anybody thinks. You know, Eli, the high priest, thinks that she's drunk. And she cries out to the Lord with her request. And one thing that I love about this story is that it doesn't say that she had this really noble motive for wanting to have a child. You know, it didn't say that she had hoped that she would have a son who would one day grow up to be a great prophet and change the course of Israel's history. She was simply a woman who desperately longed for a child. And that's it. You know, the Bible doesn't comment on the worthiness of her request or how no noble it was. It just was. And I love that the inclusion of this story makes room for those moments in our lives when it's not always about having these great noble spiritual desires to like build the kingdom of God or about kind of taking the high spiritual road, whatever that means, and saying things like, well, God's allowing this to happen to just teach me about contentment and like not putting other things or people before God. And the inclusion of the story tells me that there's room in this journey of faith for simply coming before the Lord with a desire of my heart and just pouring it out before the Lord. That's a vulnerable thing, you know, isn't it? Because there are no guarantees that we will get what we want. The Lord remembered her. You know, I shared at the beginning that this verse was quite painful for me to read at the time. Like, if I didn't conceive a child, did that mean that the Lord had forgotten me? And this Hebrew word for remember, zakar, it has a range of meanings. So one can be mental recollection, like your memory. It can mean verbal recollection, like reciting something. But this word remember also has a relational aspect to it. So throughout the Old Testament, there's often this exhortation to remember. So for example, Psalm 105.5 says, remember the wonders he has done, 
his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. O descendants of Abraham, his servant, his chosen one. He is the Lord our God. He remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Abraham. The oath he swore to Isaac. In other words, that word remember characterizes the covenant relationship that God has with God's people. So when they remember the Lord and how the Lord has acted on behalf of Israel throughout their history, it reminds them that the God, the faithful God of the past, is also the same God of their present, who will be the same God in their future. And when it says that the Lord remembers, his covenant forever, it means that God is acting in a way that's consistent with God's covenantal character of love and mercy. That God sees them, that God cares for them, that God acts on their behalf and has not forgotten them. So during that time in Kyrgyzstan, I picked a book off my sister's shelf called Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Haley Barton. And in there, she has a chapter on discernment. And what she writes is that she says that when it comes to discerning God's will in our lives, that there are certain theological truths that we have to start with. And the first one that she mentioned is this. She writes that God's intentions towards us are deeply good. You know, God's intentions towards us are deeply good. That is covenant language. You know, and I had been asking God, God, are you good? Will you be good to us and for us? And in the midst of that darkness that I felt, that theological truth was like a ray of light. And it didn't take away, I should say, the sadness or the feeling of loss, but it reminded me of who God is and what God is like to be reminded that God's intentions towards me are deeply good. And to be reminded of that truth was to open up a whole new set of possibilities. And so I remember us, Jimmy and I walking around in Kyrgyzstan and we, were, we started asking and talking about how could not having children be an expression of God's goodness? Like could not God be good in both kinds of situations, in both paths. And this is not to minimize those dark times when they're just, we just cannot see the good. You know, we can't find the good. But for us, in that moment, asking that question, God began to show us things that we hadn't appreciated before. Like for example, it made us thankful for our marriage that we liked each other, <laughs> and that if it was going to be just the two of us for the rest of our lives, maybe it wouldn't be that bad, <laughs> you know? It made us realize that we had a lot of space in our lives to be family for people who don't have family. It meant we had more resources at our disposal that we could share with others. It meant freedom to take huge risks that might've been difficult if we'd had a family. You know, so for example, just a few years after that, Jimmy left his very well-paying, stable job to take a huge pay cut 
in order to lead Restore NYC, which is a nonprofit that grew tremendously under his leadership and became one of the premier organizations that serves women who've been sex trafficked into the US, many of whom are mothers who are vulnerable precisely because they would do anything for their children. If we had a family, I don't know that I would have pursued becoming a priest, you know, if I'd be standing before you right now. And, you know, I'm not suggesting that any of these things make up for not having a child, um, or that if you do, that you can't have those things. Um, like, I can't tell you how many times, like, well-meaning people will say to me when they hear our story, you know what, but you are a spiritual mother. <laughs> And that may be true, and I'm grateful for that, but don't say things like that. <laughs> it's like Elkanah, Hannah's husband, who's like, am I not worth more to you than 10 sons? <laughs> you know, nothing can take the place of having a child. Um, on the flip side of that, I should also say that at the age of 49, um, every, when people hear that story, every once in a while, I have somebody who comes up to me and they, they feel like they could just put their hands on my belly and they'll be like, I'm going to pray that the Lord would help you conceive. And I'm always like, no, don't touch me. <laughs> don't touch me. I'm past that stage. <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, Jimmy and I, we, you know, we talk a lot about um, you know, I mean, just quite candidly, how not having children in our 40s when we're both like healthy and active will feel a lot different when we're in our 70s and 80s. But I want to give testimony that 14 years after that time in Kyrgyzstan, that if you ask me now, do you feel like the Lord has forgotten you? I would give you an unequivocal no. You know, I couldn't see it at the time, but God remembered us that summer in Kyrgyzstan. It was no accident that I just happened to pick up this book off my sister's shelf that consoled me, you know, when I needed it the most. And I've come to see over these past 14 years how my small story, like Hannah's, is being woven into this greater story of what God is doing in the world in ways that I could have never, ever imagined back then. The Lord remembered Hannah. And you know what? He remembers Christine. And he remembers you because that's the kind of God that God is. The God of the covenant who has not forgotten us. And I don't know why things happen the way they do. For every Hannah who conceives, there is a Christine who doesn't. In a few moments, we're gonna baptize Amara Joy Howard, who is a miracle baby for Michelle and Hyatt. And yet God is the same God for every single one of us, the God who remembers us and hears our cries, even when the end result may look different. Later in the service, we're gonna celebrate the Eucharist together. And in that moment, we remember Jesus, who in the Garden of Gethsemane cried out to his Father and asked that the cup be taken from him. And the answer was no. But as our Hebrew reading says, Jesus opened the way to God for us so that we can approach God's throne of grace without fear, without judgment, 
with a true heart, which doesn't always mean like a happy heart, but a true heart is our real heart, which is sometimes a broken heart too with what we're carrying. And we can bring that to God. And so during the Eucharist, we're gonna give you an opportunity to receive prayer. And I encourage you to come, to not carry it alone, but to bring it to the God who knows you and sees you and remembers you. Let us pray. God, I wanna thank you for being my faithful God, me and Jimmy's faithful God over these past 19 years. Thank you, God, that you console us in our sorrow. God, thank you that you've surrounded us with such amazing friends and family and people who love us to remind us that you have not forgotten us. And Lord, I wanna pray for each of my brothers and sisters in this room today and all those who hear my voice. God, I pray that whatever they are carrying in their hearts, Lord, and whatever secret sorrow or hope, um, unfulfilled longing that they carry, God, that you would come and show yourself to be that covenant faithful God who sees them and knows them and cares for them. And would you minister, God, to each one today? Thank you, Jesus, that you know our sorrows. You are a man of sorrows, as Isaiah says. Um, and you've walked this path before us. And thank you for being our great high priest who's always interceding on our behalf. And that because of you, that we can come to your throne and receive help and grace in our time of need. So God, we love you. Lord, we bless you this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.